Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Everyone likes approval. We enjoy seeing our teacher's A at the top of our essay. Fresh oxygen is breathed into our motivation when we hear good game. Our shelves are covered with our athletic awards, and our walls are lined with framed certificates that verify that we have been approved by an educational institution to receive a high school diploma, a bachelor's, master's, or doctor's degree. Wanting approval often leads us down a path to success and achievement, but it can also lead us in the directions of compromise, regret, and even self-loathing when we weakly surrender to unhealthy peer pressure. We all know the experience of hearing our conscience warn us, say no, but saying yes instead in order to fit in. We have all been in situations where we sense the leading of God's Spirit to identify ourselves as Christians, but have chickened out. We have all looked back with regret on times we should have stood for righteousness, but caved. The goal of this episode is to help us seek God's approval more and the world's approval less. Thanks for joining us today for season number one, episode number 41 of Mission Focus Men. My name is Gary Yeagle. Author Keith Leanhouse tells a moving story about the way our hearts are shaped to want approval. In this case, the approval of a father. It's about a football coach, Lou Little of Georgetown University, some years ago, and a player he coached named Jerry. Jerry wasn't real skilled. He practiced all the time, getting in the game, though, only occasionally. But in four years, this dedicated, young, loyal man never missed a practice. The coach, deeply impressed with Jerry's loyalty and dedication to the team, also marveled at his evident devotion to his father. Several times the coach had seen Jerry and his visiting father on the campus, talking, visiting with one another, walking arm in arm around campus. But the coach had never met the father or talked with Jerry about him. During Jerry's senior year and a few nights before the most important game of the season, a traditional rivalry like Army-Navy or Michigan-Ohio State, the coach heard a knock on his door. Opening the door, he saw Jerry, his face full of sadness. Coach, my father just died, Jerry murmured. Is it okay if I miss practice a few days and go home? The coach said he was very sorry to hear the news, and it of course was all right for him to go home. As Jerry murmured a thank you and turned to leave, the coach added, Please don't feel you have to return for the game this Saturday. You are certainly excused from that, too. The youth nodded and left. But on Friday night, just hours before the big game, Jerry again stood in the coach's doorway. Jerry said, Coach, I have a request for you. May I please start the game tomorrow? The coach tried to dissuade the youth, but finally consented. That night, the coach tossed and turned. Why in the world had he said yes to the youth? The opposing team was favored by 21 points. He needed his best players in the entire game. Suppose the opening kickoff came to Jerry and he fumbled. Obviously, he could not let the kid play. But he had promised. So as the bands played and the crowds roared, Jerry stood at the goal line awaiting the opening kickoff. The coach thought to himself, Well, the ball probably won't go to him anyway. 
Then the coach would run a few plays and take Jerry out of the game. That way, he wouldn't have to worry about the crucial fumble, and he would have kept his promise. Oh, no, the coach thought as he watched the ball float end over end right into Jerry's arms. But instead of fumbling, Jerry hugged the ball tightly, dodged three tacklers, and ran to midfield before being tackled. The coach had never seen Jerry run with such agility and power. And perhaps sensing something great, he had the quarterback call a running play for Jerry. He responded by breaking tackles for a 20-yard gain. A few plays later, Jerry carried the ball over the goal line. The opponents were stunned. Who in the world was this kid anyway? He wasn't in their scouting report, for up to that point he had played a total of three minutes all season. Well, the coach left Jerry in on offense and defense. Back then, some guys played both ways. And Jerry did it all. Tackling, intercepting, knocking down passes, blocking, and running. And at the end of the half, the underdogs led by 14. The second half started, and Jerry continued to inspire his team. And when the final whistle blew, his team had won. In the locker room, the coach sought Jerry out and found him sitting quietly, head in hands, in a far corner. The coach asked, putting his arm around the boy, Son, what happened out there? You're not that fast. You're not that quick. You're not that talented. Jerry looked at the coach and said softly, You see, coach, my father was blind. This was the first game he ever saw me play. In this true story, Jerry's passion ignited enormous power and energy. He was playing for his father's approval. There's, of course, another man who lived for his father's approval. His name was Jesus. He said things like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Or I always do the things that are pleasing to my father. Or, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And finally, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus had heard the words he most wanted to hear, spoken audibly by the Father from heaven on three separate occasions. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I believe the dynamic between Jesus and his heavenly Father reveals a paradigm for all humans. God has created us with the heart longing for the approval of our heavenly Father. To hear, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. We see this truth from the world of general revelation also, where biblical counseling in recent years has identified what has been called the father wound. It is the wound to children's hearts that occurs when their need for their father's approval goes unmet. I believe that earthly fathers serve temporarily during their children's early years as surrogates for the heavenly father whose love and affirmation their children eventually need to experience firsthand in order to flourish. 
Being created with a longing for God's approval is not only revealed in the example of Jesus and in human experience, it also goes with being created as God's image bearers to be vice rulers for him. If my identity is to represent God in the way I rule over my life, I will constantly look to him for approval of my behavior in order to represent him well. Just as the employee seeks to please his boss, the pupil, his teacher, the player, his coach, God's image bearers seek to know what pleases our God, so we represent him as he wishes. That is why we hear the biblical writers say, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Colossians 1.10 Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews 13.16 Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 5.9-10 So we are created with a deep hunger in our hearts for the approval of the high king as we rule over our lives for him. This hunger is further identified in one of Jesus' parables, Matthew 25. A man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Of course, we know that the rest of the parable is about the unfaithful steward. But here's the point. In this parable, Jesus appeals to our God-given desire to hear well done from the lips of our master. He has entrusted to you a sphere of life over which you are to be his faithful steward on planet Earth. This sphere includes your heart attitudes, body, skills, talents, spiritual gifts, family relationships, vocational calling, money, apartment or home, your possessions. And every single day, we have the opportunity to bring a smile to God's face by making choices that please him. We were created to crave his affirmation and approval. Have you ever considered thinking back over your day or week and sensing God's approval for those times you have pleased him? Of course, as you know, one of the problems our race faces is that our need for God's approval has been corrupted into a hunger for man's approval. To recognize the breadth and depth of this corruption, we need only think about Peter, the boldest and strongest of the disciples, who boasted that though the other disciples would fall away from Jesus, he never would. Jesus' response was, oh, really? 
Before the rooster crows twice tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. As you know, Peter did just that, even invoking a curse on himself, swearing, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and we read that Peter broke down and wept. I suspect that everyone listening to this podcast has felt that shame of denying our Lord. So how do we intensify our desire to please God and reduce the pull of temptation to be people pleasers? Here are a few ideas. First, understand that being liked by everyone is not a panacea, but a trap. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And Jesus taught in Luke 6, verse 26, How miserable for you when everybody says nice things about you. For that is exactly how their fathers treated the false prophets. The fact is that the painful conviction that we have denied Christ hurts more than the rejection of our non-Christian friends. And similarly, the pleasure of knowing that we have winsomely identified ourselves as Christ followers, said no to an invitation to do wrong, or in some other way, we have taken a loving stand for righteousness, brings with it a special joy that outweighs the pain of not fitting in. Jesus put it this way, happy are those who have suffered persecution for the cause of goodness. The second way to win the peer pressure battle is this, expect to not fit into the world. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If we want the world to love us, we have to be like the world. But God's covenant people were never chosen to be like the world, but chosen to be a blessing to the world by shining our spiritual light. In a book I recently wrote, Anchoring Your Child to God's Truth in a Gender-Confused Culture, I point out to parents the importance of explaining to their teens why they don't fit into the secular world around them. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter challenges his readers to consider their special identity in the world. He writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then I go on to say the fracturing of the human person into five parts. One, sex assigned at birth. Two, physical attraction. Three, emotional attraction. Four, gender identity. And five, gender roles comes from the world of darkness. That darkness fiercely opposes the biblical worldview of sexuality. For example, if your daughter were to mention that she believes that God's command for Christian wives to submit to their husbands reflects his good design for marriage, she would likely be mercilessly scorned by her friends. But just as Abraham's posterity was chosen not to fit into the fallen world, but to be a blessing to it, Christians, the spiritual seed of Abraham, are to be a blessing to the world, which is still shrouded in the darkness of sin. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. There is a lot more in the book calling teens and adults to love those in the LGBTQ life well before even discussing worldviews. Yet our kids need to see that they have light concerning the meaning of gender and sexuality that the world doesn't have. The third way to heat up our passion to please God is this. Realize what a privilege it is to give God pleasure. That is really the definition of pleasing God. Out of gratefulness and love for him, we can give him this gift Psalm 147.10 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. In 1 Chronicles 29.17, we read, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. Alistair Begg, in his book, Made for His Pleasure, describes an experience that helped him realize how meaningful it is to give God pleasure. After seeing his son score his very first goal in soccer, Begg writes, I wasn't prepared for the tears that smarted in my eyes. I had not realized it was possible to take such intense delight in, to be so incredibly pleased by, seeing someone else succeed. I thought about it then, and I have considered it often since then. If I, an earthly father, can know such a sensation of pleasure in the well-being of my son, surely that gives me an inkling of how our Heavenly Father feels when we please Him. If we could only grasp and be grasped by this, our lives would be revolutionized. The fourth way to ignite your passion to be pleasing to Christ is remembering that our Lord is worthy of your supreme allegiance. That is what loving him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength really means. As we have been observing in this episode, the masculine heart has a great capacity for allegiance. Men want to follow a commander in chief who leads us to take the hill, but we want to follow a leader who is worthy of our full devotion. We want a leader we respect, one who never asks us to do something he hasn't done, one who leads us on a mission that matters, one who wins our allegiance because of his unselfish loyalty to us. You and I were created to please and honor Jesus. There is no more decorated warrior, no more compelling commander. No more loving master, no more inspiring example, no more deserving king, no more worthy Lord to want to please than King Jesus. To summarize this episode, just as Jerry found fresh motivation from knowing that his father was finding pleasure watching him play, We need to remember that our God finds great pleasure as we shape our lives to honor Him. Our heart is designed to be fulfilled by having Him be the King we honor. But that requires battling the desire to be friends with the world. As James points out, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Pleasing God instead of being people pleasers is easier when we realize, number one, the emptiness of having the world's approval. Number two, our vital role as light for a world shrouded in spiritual darkness. Number three, what a privilege it is to put a smile on God's face every day. And fourth, how worthy Jesus is of our undivided passion to please Him alone. For further prayerful thought, number one, what are the situations in your life where you are most tempted to want man's approval instead of God's? Number two, how can you be more proactive thinking about how God wants you to be a blessing and light to the lost world around you? Number three, what is it about Jesus that most captures your desire to be loyal to him? This week's past podcast highlight is the series Making a Difference in the Workplace, episodes 16 through 18. These three titles are How Understanding Christ's Call to the Workplace Adds Motivation to Work, Overcoming the Impact of the Fall on Our Work, and thirdly, Maximizing Your Influence for Christ with Your Coworkers. Next week, we continue our new series, Understanding the Masculine Heart. We will examine the masculine desire for significance, respect, achievement, and how God intends for us to satisfy that need, which is often overlooked by the church. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.